0: Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Pandemic, Book Three of the Infected trilogy, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com/pandemic.
1: Chapter Forty Four. Day 13 Stylish Outerwear Dawn's light burned through the store's tall second-story windows. Paulius shivered from the cold. He sat still, waiting for a response from his missing men. There was none. He'd been trying for three hours. He thumbed his talk button. Roth Harrison, come in! Paulius released the button and waited. No answer. "'Roth, Harrison, come in!' Still nothing. His hands felt numb, as did his toes. He pulled the long fur coat he'd found tighter on his shoulders. They'd taken refuge in a clothing store. And, of course, it was a women's clothing store. He wore the coat like a cloak. He was back far enough from the window that he couldn't be seen from the road, but close enough that he could look out. Four lanes of Oak Street running east and west intersecting the three lanes of rush that ran north-northwest to south-southeast. He had a wide, commanding view of the surrounding area. Right after they'd cleared the barrier, Katansky had taken a shotgun blast to the throat. He was probably dead before his body hit the ground. Roth and Harrison were missing. Ramirez had made it, but he was badly wounded. Only Bosch and Klimas were still in proper fighting shape. He'd sent Bosch out to the rendezvous point at La Salle and Goethe. It was dangerous to send him out alone, but Paulius didn't have a choice. He had to stay with Cooper Mitchell. Ramirez sat close by, his back against the wall. Cooper was asleep in front of a rack of shoes. Doctor Feelygood was also out, lying on a big pile of dresses. Paulius had cut away Feely's shredded, now useless CBRN suit, then covered the man in a couple of fur coats. Clarence and Margaret were on the far side of the store. Polyus didn't want either of them anywhere near the others. Roth, Harrison, come in, Polyus said. Bosh, come in. Nothing. Ramirez lifted his head, a bloody bunch of gauze taped against the socket of his ruined left eye. He had a long velvet coat hung over his shoulders, another across his lap. Don't sweat it, Commander, he said. Must be too much building interference to reach Bosch. I'm pretty sure Roth is an immortal, and we both know Harrison is made of iron. Paulius forced a smile. Ramirez had lost an eye and taken a bullet in the belly, yet he was still trying to build up those around him. That was a seal for you. And just like a seal, Ramirez had his weapon in his hands. If the converted came barging in, he was still ready to fight. We'll find them. Polius said. If there was a time to lie, it was now. How are you holding up? I'm just... Ramirez leaned his head forward as a wave of pain washed over him. He stayed that way for a few seconds, then looked up. I'm solid, Commander. But maybe I'll just take a little nap. Negative, Pollyus said. You stay awake, that's an order. Keep trying Roth and Harrison, got it? Ramirez managed a slow nod. Paulius had done all he could for the wounded. Stitches for Cooper and Feely, bandages for Otto, sure. But abdominal surgery for Ramirez? Out of Paulius's league. He pulled off his headset and stuffed it into a pocket of his fatigues. He pulled the fur coat tighter, then walked toward Feely. Paulius passed by Otto and Margaret. She was sitting on a chair, still bound, still gagged. Otto had covered her in coats, leaving only her head exposed. He had ditched his CBRN suit. The thing had been just as shredded as Felix, but hadn't put on any extra clothing. The man preferred to shiver, apparently. Maybe it added to his self-indulgent misery. Otto tilted his head toward Ramirez. How is he? Dying. Polius said quietly. Did you call Longworth? Yeah. He knows we made it out. You ask him how many stingers were in the reserve bases around here? Otto nodded. The brass thinks the converted could have over 50 of them in Chicago. 50. Damn it. Sending in any helicopters for pickup would be suicide. Paulius would have to find a way to take everyone to a safer area and hope the converted had concentrated their stingers downtown. He'd look for a spot to the north, on the shore, make it easier for the Seahawks to approach. That was the best hope, and it still meant a hike of several miles for Feely and Cooper, both of whom had significant leg wounds, and for Ramirez, who couldn't move at all. "'That's just fantastic,' Paulius said. "'I don't suppose Murray can convince Admiral Porter to send a nice little armor division or two our way?' Otto shook his head. "'There aren't any armor divisions, at least not in the Midwest.' What's left of our military is engaged in active combat, including all of our reserves. Testing kits are running low. The converted are popping up in almost every unit, special forces included. Murray is even afraid to drop in reinforcements for us, because he can't be sure members of those units won't be compromised and try to kill Cooper themselves. It's real bad out there. Polly has tried to control his temper. They had the package. They'd done it. It's real bad here, too. Doesn't he have anything for us? He does. He sent one of the last available Apaches to the Coronado. And he's stationed an AC-130U at Scott AFB down near Champaign. Has it assigned just for us. The crew is sequestered to make sure no infected slip in. We've got those, plus one of the Coronado Seahawks for evac. The other Seahawk got reassigned to make room for the Apache. We give Murray one hour's notice... He can put those assets where we tell him. Polyus worked through the options. The AC-130U was a ground attack aircraft, armed with a 25mm Gatling gun and a 105mm Howitzer cannon. It was an ideal weapon to use against ground forces, especially ones that packed in tight like the converted tended to do. The plane could strike from high up. It still had to worry about stinger fire, but not as much as the low-flying Apaches. At least that's something, Paulius said. Just have to figure out where to go for pickup and how to get there. Right. Otto said, Nothing to it. Not like we're in the middle of enemy territory or anything. Paulius nodded toward Margaret. What about her? She magically cured yet? Otto hung his head. Paulius looked at her. She met his stare mumbled two syllables. The gag made her words unrecognizable, but the cadence reminded him of Mushmouthed Kenny from South Park. Her meaning was all too understandable. Fuck you. Ma'am, Paulius said. He walked to Feely. The little guy had taken a small caliber round through the calf, probably a thirty-eight. The wound wasn't life-threatening, and Ramirez needed real help, which meant Tim's nap time was over. Battle brought out a person's true nature. Paulius had gotten too far ahead, lost sight of the men he was supposed to protect. When he doubled back, he saw Tim fighting to protect the much larger Cooper Mitchell. Tim Feely thought himself a coward, yet he'd killed a man in hand-to-hand combat, crushed the enemy's skull with a hunk of concrete. That moment encapsulated the essence of bravery. Cower and run from danger, or step up and face it. Kill to protect your own. Maybe Tim Feely wasn't seal material, but he sure as hell had a warrior's soul. Polyus gently shook the man's shoulder. Dr. Feelygood, wake up, brother. Tim's eyes fluttered open. Like everyone else, his skin was caked with dust. It made him a dozen shades darker than his former, extra pale self. He stared out in confusion for a moment, then his eyes focused on Polyus. Tim sat up quickly. Easy, Polius said. We're safe for now. Tim looked around, saw Otto sitting with Margaret, saw Ramirez against the wall. Where are we? Barney's, New York? Tim paused, then nodded, as if that was the most normal thing he could have heard. Good, good, Tim said. I was looking for a sale on Manolos, size 8 if you please. He looked at the fur coats covering him then at the one around Pollyus' shoulders. Nice, Tim said. Did you bring your pimp cane and my chalice? He was joking. That was a good sign. How do you feel? Tim didn't answer. He lifted his leg, looked at the blood-spotted bandage on his calf. Stitches? Polyus nodded. Yep, seven, I think. Blue Cross should cover that. Can I assume that your stitches are all nice and neat? Probably not, Pollyus said. But they tell me scars are a mark of character. Gosh, lucky me, I'll have so much to talk about at my next book club meeting. Pollyus suddenly pointed at Ramirez. He's got shot. Fading fast. Need you to fix him up. Tim stood. He pulled on one of the fur coats and limped over to Ramirez. Polyus watched. Tim pressed his fingers to the man's neck, then gently looked inside Ramirez's fatigues, which Polyus had left open. Tim hobbled back, spoke quietly enough that Ramirez couldn't hear. I don't have anything to work with. Even if I did, I doubt I could save him. He's lost too much blood. As he is now, he's got maybe a few hours. Can we get a helicopter in here, get him back to the Coronado? No. We can't take that chance. We're still too close to where the converted have probably deployed their stingers. We have to get farther north. Can we carry him? Tim pursed his lips, let out a long breath. (sighs) He wouldn't last a half mile. He's not the only one. I can barely move, Haas. Can we drive out? Not without a tank. You saw the roads, too many cars blocking the way. We need something big and I didn't see any semis out there. Tim pulled at his lower lip as he thought. Ramirez gave a half-hearted wave. Commanders, Bosch! He's got Roth Coming in now! Polyus's chest swelled with relief, but he tempered the emotion, pushed it down. Bosch could have made that call under duress. Otto, get up! he said. Come with me! Polyus gripped Tim's shoulder, turned him toward Ramirez. Ram, you need something to do. Show this man how to use your M4. Tim's eyes went wide. Me? I'm no good with guns. Yes, you. And you'll learn right now. Go. Tim moved to Ramirez just as Otto walked up, Glock in hand. With me, Paulius said, then walked to the top of the wide stairs. One flight down, he saw Bosch quietly enter the store along with a big man wearing sweatpants, a red Chicago Bulls knit hat, and a white-sleeved Chicago Bears letterman's jacket. The man might have passed for a civilian, were it not for the SCAR-FN rifle in his trembling hands. Roth. The clothes looked cleaner than he did. Bosch threw a quick salute, then turned back to guard the front doors. Roth trudged up the stairs, each step an effort. Jesus H., Paulius said, you look like a pile of spilt fuck. Roth nodded. At least I'm still ticking. And Harrison? Roth shook his head. We tried to hide in an office building. We stumbled onto a bunch of them camping out. It got crazy, sir. One of those giant fucking things threw a file cabinet at him. He went down. They swarmed on him. I couldn't. I should have. Forget it, Pollyus said, perhaps a little too sharply. Just forget it. He died doing his job. Roth looked cashed out, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Pollius tugged the letterman jacket's faux leather sleeve. Thought you were a Bengals fan. Roth patted the embroidered orange C on his left breast. This thing kept me alive, sir. From now on, go bears. Ramirez had the right idea. The bad guys were hunting us based on our uniforms. First store I found after I got away from that office was a fan shop. These clothes made it easier to blend in a little. From a distance, none of them gave me a second glance. Polly slapped the bigger man on the shoulder. Grab some sack time. We might have to move quick. Roth didn't need to be told twice. He nodded and walked to a rack of sweaters. He didn't even bother taking the sweaters down for padding just crawled beneath them, lay on his back, and was out in seconds. Margaret Montoya coughed, a lung-rattling sound that echoed through the cold store. Clarence turned and walked toward her. Paulius wondered what it was like to love a woman so much that you'd abandoned reason and logic, let your heart blind you to what your eyes could plainly see. For the first time, he found himself feeling sorry for Clarence Otto. Tim came at a fast hobble. His face lit up with excitement. Klemos, holy shit! Remember that firehouse we saw on the way in? Where I shot two brave men in cold blood? Yeah, I remember. I saw those cops. I'm not passing judgment, okay? Whatever had to be done had to be done. But I gathered they were guarding the firehouse, were they? Feely seemed far too amped up. And in the fur coat, he did look a little like a pimp. Doc, what's your point? Tim tilted his head toward Margaret. Did a bad job of trying not to make the motion obvious. Margaret May is infected, fay with Idra Hayes. She's offing Kay. You get me? Polyus sighed. I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. She's infected. If Cooper's story is accurate, she'll be dead in. Wait, how long have we been here? About five hours. Then she'll be dead in nineteen hours. But that's not what matters. What matters is the Hydras are replicating inside of her right now. He looked off. His lips moved like he was counting something, or speaking to himself in a language only he knew. I think I have a way to save Ramirez. A way that not only gets us north in a hurry, but lets us infect hundreds of those motherfuckers along the way. If any of them radiate out to other areas, it's very possible that the Hydras will spread all over the Midwest. Klimas, if you can pull this off, we might even start a chain reaction that could kill them all! Polya stared down at the man. If I can pull what off? Tim's eyes shone with a combination of intensity, hope, and the dread of a nasty job that had to be done. The firehouse. And what's inside? The fire truck! He nodded toward Margaret. We're going to put her in it, so to speak. Margaret Montoya gets to save the world one more time.
0: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Chapter 45. The Democratic Process. A hand on his shoulder, shaking him lightly. Mr. Mitchell, wake up. Cooper opened his eyes, Tim Feeley standing over him. Tim smiled. How are you doing? Was he wearing a fur coat? Leg hurts, Cooper said. The understatement of the year. His right thigh throbbed, stung. I cut it on something climbing over that poop wall. Poop wall? You mean that street barricade? Cooper nodded. Yeah, that. "'Well, whatever caused it, the cut required fifteen stitches. "'You might have ligament damage as well, so walk carefully. "'Unfortunately, it was Klemas who did the sewing, "'as my deft digits are a bit dinged up.' "'Tim held up his hands. "'They were bandaged in a dozen places. "'Some of the white strips had spots of red. "'Cooper remembered the half-faced man with the axe. "'Tim could have kept running, but he'd come back. "'He's not like you, Coop, old dog.' Doc Feely doesn't leave anyone behind. Ah, what you did back there. Thanks. Tim's smile faded. I don't want to think about that. Not ever again. He pointed across the store to where Otto and Klimas stood along with two other men. Cooper recognized Bosch, and also that big seal. Roth, was it? Who for some reason was decked out in bear's gear. Ramirez sat by himself against a wall, sleeping maybe, and that infected lady watching everything. She had a gag in her mouth and was practically buried in a pile of women's coats. Come, join us, Tim said. Time to talk about how we're getting you out of here. Cooper listened to Clemos lay out the idea, Tim's idea maybe, But Klimas was in charge, so it was his no-bullshit voice that outlined what would happen next. Whoever came up with it, the idea sounded insane. Everyone looked at Clarence Otto, waited for his response. The man stayed silent for a moment. His jaw muscles twitched. There was murder in his eyes. Otto raised a hand, pointed a finger, right at Cooper. He's got the hydras, too, Otto said. Why don't we use him? Oh, fuck that. This lovesick idiot wanted to save that diseased whore. Because I'm not one of them, Cooper said. Your wife is. Deal with it. He stared at Otto until the bigger man looked away. Tim sniffed. Margaret's already lost. We can't save her. Otto stared at the floor. She'll get those blisters, right? Isn't that enough? Between her and Cooper, isn't that enough? It's not, Tim said. Based on what we learned from Candace Walker, it will be another day, maybe two, before the pustules form on Margaret's skin. If they form at all, because she'll be dead by then. We just don't know. What we do know is she already has the hydras in her blood. I know this is hard, but you... We don't... Tim ran out of words. He looked at Klimas, maybe trying to get help. Cooper noticed that the seal had his pistol in his hand, down low against his thigh. Subtle, but ready to go if Clarence got crazy. Using Cooper isn't an option, Klimas said. We're not putting him at risk so he can pop his zits on the bad guys. The weapon we need is inside of Margaret. We need her blood. All of it. Otto looked up. He was a man destroyed, a man gutted. Can't you all hear how insane this sounds? This is barbaric. You want to put my wife's blood into a fire truck? What the fuck are we, vampires? Tim pulled his fur coat tighter. Call it what you will, he said. If we do this, then even if we don't get Cooper out alive, we can still start a plague that might kill them all and you know that how. You're going to butcher a woman who saved everyone in this room to test out a theory? Klimas's hand flexed on the pistol. That's exactly what we're going to do. Otto looked from man to man, searching for support, finding none. His fists tightened until his hands shook. Cooper almost felt bad for the dude. Almost. At least he didn't have to watch his wife transform into a monster. Tears formed in Otto's eyes, spilled over, left thin trails of clean, wet brown through the dust that coated his skin. This isn't just about Margaret. She's pregnant. Just take some of her blood, a couple of pints. That won't kill her. Pregnant? Cooper looked back at the woman tied to the chair. Didn't matter if she was. Why should she get to live when Jeff turned into a thing and Sophia turned into dinner? Cooper hadn't wanted to kill Sophia, he hadn't, but killing her had kept him alive. He could still taste her, still taste her charred skin, still taste the juice that had dribbled from her steaming flesh. I had to do it, had to do it, I had no choice, no choice at all. Feely started to speak, then paused. He was trying to find the right words. She's lying, he said finally. And even if she's not, if she actually is pregnant, then the baby is also one of them. The last bit of fight slid out of Agent Otto, as clearly as if someone had pulled a hidden plug and let it drain away. Klimas spoke again, softer this time. If you want to say your goodbyes, Otto, you need to do it now. Clarence sniffed back snot, hissed in a breath. More tears formed. ''Okay,'' he said. He nodded slowly at first, then with exaggerated motion. ''Okay, I... I see it. That's the way it has to be. Go for a walk,'' Klimas said. ''You don't need to be here for this.'' Otto's eyes squeezed tight. He pinched hard on the bridge of his nose. ''No,'' he said, his voice hollow and hoarse. If she has to be set free, I'll do it. The big seal wearing the ridiculous Chicago Bears jacket sniffed sharply, then turned and walked away. The other one, Bosh, just stared at the ground. Klimas held his pistol in his right hand. With his left, he reached to his side and drew a wicked-looking K-Bar knife. He flipped it, held it by the seven-inch blade, and offered it handle-first to Otto. I'll honor your request, Klimas said. But if you try anything, I'll put you down. And then she dies anyway. Otto started crying all over again. His big shoulders shook as he reached out and took the knife. Chapter 46 Besieged Immunized, 89%. Not immunized, 6%. Unknown 5%. Finished doses en route, 10,134. Doses in production, 98,000. Infected, 6 million. Parentheses, 40 million. Converted, 5,125,000. Parentheses, 23,500,000. Deaths, 6 million plus. Parentheses, 40 million. It was all over but the crying, really. Thankfully, Murray wasn't much of a crier. The tipping point had been reached. Twenty-three million converted, worldwide. No army, no matter how well-equipped or organized, could stop that many people. And Cheng's best guess was another forty million were infected. In the next three days, statisticians projected the total number of converted to reach sixty million. Industrial production of the inoculant had collapsed. So, too, had America's transportation network. It was now impossible to drive from New York City to the West Coast. Converted occupied the Rocky Mountains, making the range impassable. The last reliable form of transportation, airplanes, was in danger of falling. Every remaining airport, both military and civilian, was under constant attack by hordes of monsters and screaming psychopaths. Battles raged in the streets of DC. The Army manned a solid perimeter 14 blocks square, with the White House dead center. Admiral Porter's people estimated that 30,000 converted were pressing in on 2,000 US military defenders. And every now and then, one of those defenders would turn out to be converted himself, slaughtering those around him in an effort to open up a hole in the lines. Air support wouldn't last much longer. Fewer people to repair and rearm planes, fewer bases and on three separate occasions, one F-22, one F-35, and one Apache, an aircraft had turned from defender to attacker. The burning hole in the west wing came courtesy of the F-22 pilot's kamikaze effort. At every level of the military, paranoia ran rampant. No one could say for sure if the man or woman next to them might be the enemy, the kind that didn't test positive. Ronald Reagan Airport and Bowling AFB had fallen, There was no airport close enough that they could risk driving President Albertson to it, even with the five M1 Abrams tanks parked on the White House lawn. Three times the military had tried to bring in evac helicopters, and all three times the converted had shot those aircraft down. The enemy had SAMs, and plenty of them. The bottom line, no one was leaving the White House, not even Albertson. Admiral Porter's best estimate was that loyal troops could defend the White House for another six days seven at the most. Murray had once dreamed of the Situation Room burning to the ground. Now it looked like that might actually happen, only with him still in it. Chapter 47 Aftermath Emperor Steve Stanton, Minister of Science, Dr. General Jeremy Ellis, and Supreme Master of Logistics, Robert McMasters, stood on a tall pile of rubble, all shivering against the biting wind. They looked down at the ten-foot-deep crater that had once been bustling Michigan Avenue. Shattered vehicles, broken concrete, jutting metal and shredded bodies lay in and around it, all victims of the powerful detonation. Those had been some seriously big bombs. The once bright and gleaming park tower was a blackened finger pointing to the sky. Fire had consumed much of the building, gutting it, leaving hundreds of charred corpses inside like it was some oversized pinata of death. A small army of hatchlings worked through the rubble, all with one specific task, find the body of Cooper Mitchell. Only then would Steve know he was truly safe. Dr. General Ellis, Steve said, do you really think we'll recover Cooper's body? Ellis's eyes flicked to the pistol strapped to Steve's thigh. For some reason, The man always seemed to think he was moments from being shot. If Cooper is in there, he's probably too burned to be recognizable, Ellis said. But we do have to try, Emperor. If I can get him to my labs, maybe I can find a cure. If the good Dr. General didn't get infected himself and die in the process, of course. Steve again stared into the crater. Unseen planes had dropped the bombs. One second, everything had been fine. The next... All crazy explosions and total chaos. Steve wasn't sure how many of his people had died. Maybe the late General Brownstone should have spread them out a little bit more. Live and learn. Poor General Brownstone. She'd been close to the hotel, directing the third wave when the bombs hit. At least someone had found her head. That left Steve with no option but to make Ellis head of the army. Ellis didn't have the mind for the job. But he'd do until Steve found a soldier with command experience who had actually lived through the night. Steve had thought of giving McMasters the job, but he didn't trust the man. Maybe McMasters was thinking of taking over. Actually, when it came to the power structure, it was better to be safe than sorry. Steve made a mental note to kill McMasters later. The bombs had been a brilliant stroke, he had to admit. They had wiped out most of his organized army. He was still the Emperor, but now what he ruled was little more than a mob. He had to start over. Start over somewhere else. He was lucky the humans hadn't used a nuke. That luck wouldn't last long. Master of Logistics, it's time we looked at moving on. I don't care for big cities anymore. McMasters slipped a little on the concrete, regained his balance. Uh, yes, Emperor. General Brownstone's evacuation plan hasn't been affected. She organized caches of working vehicles. We could start clearing out a road, have the trucks and buses moving out in about four or five hours. Damn, but that was a big crater. Whatever had dropped the bomb that made it might still be up there, looking down, waiting for the next target. Make it so, Steve said. But Dr. General Ellis and I won't be with that group. General Brownstone had motorcycles as well, did she not? McMasters nodded. She had a few caches of those as well. I know some are at the parking garage at St. Joseph's Hospital up north in the Boystown neighborhood. Perfect. That location was five miles from where Steve stood, far enough to survive the worst effects of a large nuke if the humans decided to drop one on downtown Chicago. Start the exodus, he said. I want hundreds of vehicles leaving at the same time, heading south, east, and west. Steve had wanted to rule from Chicago, but clearly that was not God's will. In a few hours, the Chosen Ones would radiate outward, drawing attention, while he and a few others slipped away to the north, using motorcycles to navigate through the congested roads. He would find a place to hide for a while and let things run their course. Humanity couldn't last that much longer, and when they were gone, Emperor Steve Stanton would begin again.
0: You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment.